Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about soil and plant micronutrient issues. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and when we start talking about these micronutrient issues, there are a lot of different micros that are out there. And so just so we're clear on this, because the name says micro, we get a lot of people that think, oh, it's not very important. No, it's incredibly important. It's just that you need very small amounts. And the nutrients we most commonly talk about in terms of micronutrients are zinc, copper, manganese, iron, and boron, those five. But then occasionally we also will talk a little about molybdenum, maybe cobalt, silica, uh, there are selenium. I mean, there are there are some other ones out there that are very very minor. So I don't I don't know what what a word for sub micro would even be, Darren. But maybe that's it. I don't know. Anyway, so we'll probably spend most of our time talking about the five main micronutrients that we usually discuss. And I'll just tell you, we've dealt with a lot of these issues on our own farm when we first started doing some pretty extensive soil testing what we realized is, wow, we are really in bad shape in terms of zinc and especially boron. And boron is so important for basically as the plant goes through flowering, you think about pollination that's happening. If let's say you have a corn ear, for example, that isn't filled out all the way to the end, a lot of people will say, well, you know, we probably just planted a little too thick. Maybe, but maybe you're short on boron. The other thing with boron is it's leachable. Now, it's not super leachable. It's not nearly as leachable as nitrate or even sulfate. But nevertheless, it can move through the soil. So like in our geography, boron isn't super leachable because we have heavy soils, cold temperatures, so the ground's frozen like almost half the year, and we just don't have a lot of rainfall typically. Even the last two years, we've had record rainfall. Well, how much grand total are we talking the entire year, including the snow? 40 inches of precip. <laughs> So if let's say you're in the Carolinas, you're in Louisiana or somewhere, you're going 40 inches, that'd be a drought in our in our state. Yep, I know. Uh, and that's my whole point here. So if you are in some area where you have lots of heat, your ground doesn't freeze up, you have lighter soils, you have lots of rainfall and add on top of it irrigation, then yeah, we got to be looking at boron applications every single year. So that's just one of the, the the nutrients, the micronutrients that we talk about. Well, I think, Brandon, the key here is just to even be checking to see what you have in your soil and also looking to see what's in your plant tissue. One of the frustrating things has been looking at soil tests that say, oh yeah, we've got plenty of manganese, for example, and then seeing plant tissue tests where we don't have any or we have very little. Or, or vice versa, even, where you think you've got an issue, but you really aren't seeing it show up in the plants. Don't count on, well, I'll see a difference in the plants if I'm short. Sometimes that happens, and when it does, you're losing a lot of yield. But sometimes you aren't going to see anything out there, and you may be giving up 5 or 10 bushels on corn or, or 5 or 10 bushels even on soybeans. Hey, the other thing, Brian, is this whole... Uh, 
oh, what do they call it, uh, where corn is growing so fast, rapid growth syndrome, that, well, that just must be it. Right? We have rapid growth syndrome out there, and we're actually seeing the plant being short in certain nutrients. Don't listen to all those, well, it must be this, when you can easily go tell. It's just like if you had a seed dealer and said, oh, yeah, it. Yes. If I, my hybrid's going to win by 10 bushels. Well, guess what? I've got a yield monitor in my combine. I'll find out. I'll know for sure. And when someone says, ah, don't worry about it. It's just rapid growth or it's just the weather or whatever. Well, find out what you're short. And then, hey, you're not seeing that everywhere on the whole field with every plant, are you? No. Well, then pull some plant tissue tests on those plants too and do a little comparison. And what we found out more times than not is we're just short on this stuff. We need more than what we're being told. And if you put more out there, you can solve problems and you can increase yield. Yeah, so that rapid growth syndrome is something that just drives me crazy. Every spring, there will be yellow-topped corn plants, for example, and I'll even hear agronomists saying, oh, it's rapid growth syndrome. The plant will grow out of it. Well, it will, but you already lost 20 bushels, 30 bushels, maybe more. I don't know. So that, that there is no such thing as rapid growth syndrome. That's a made-up phrase. What it is is the plant is short on nutrients for that day, and if a plant is ever short on nutrients for a day, and not short or three a little days, bit, short a days. lot, right? Dramatically short. Right. If you can see a nutrient deficiency, oh my goodness, you're short. Most of the nutrient deficiencies that are happening out there, you don't even see. You don't. You can't tell day one when the plant's short on N, P, or K. Just like you can't tell day one if it's short on boron or copper, or iron or manganese, or you know any of these micronutrients. But you can do plant tissue analysis, and you can start to identify these things in the plant when it gets short on day one or day two or day three, well before you're going to see that nutrient deficiency. So that's part of the reason why we talk so much about do some plant tissue analysis. You don't have to do a lot. And also, I'll, I'll just say this, just throwing this out here about plant tissue analysis. You're going to talk to some people that say, well, you can't learn much by plant tissue analysis, or there's no standard for that, or no, don't waste your time or money or whatever. Well, that's nonsense. Come on. You got to have data. Otherwise, you're just guessing. You're just guessing, just like people are in this rapid growth syndrome. Well, they didn't know what it was, so they made something up to explain it that doesn't make any sense. It's not true. Most of the time, we've got nutrient deficiencies in our plant. And you heard me correctly there. Most of the time, we have nutrient deficiencies in our plant. It's either because you have an imbalance in your soil or because you just flat out do not have enough fertility out there to meet that day's requirements. So you might have enough for the whole year, but do you have enough right then that day for that plant? So anyway, we'll talk more about that as we go throughout the show. We're going to talk about soil and plant micronutrient issues. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
start utilizing the dual react system this year, you can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about micronutrients. We're talking about soil issues, plant issues, and just overall performance issues in your fields, in your pastures, in your lawn at home. These are very, very important nutrients. And I, I know we said this already, they're micronutrients, and it sounds like, ah, oh, they aren't that big a deal. Well, you don't need a huge amount of them but you definitely need them or you're going to have some problems. Got our friend Stephanie Zelenko with us right now with AgroLiquid. Stephanie, Happy New Year and glad you're with us. Happy New Year to you too. Thanks. All right, we're talking about New Year's resolutions uh, still, and one of them that many farmers have mentioned to us is, you know, i got to do a better job on these micronutrients. I have been too caught up in NPK and sulfur, which which are super important. But uh, for, for guys that are saying, you know, i got to get more in touch with my micronutrient needs and then also meeting them on my farm, where are you recommending farmers would start? Well, anytime that I'm doing any nutrient recommendation, I'm always going to say start with a soil test. You know, that's the you know best place to get a snapshot of what your soil needs and what be, might be lacking for that crop. You know, beyond that soil test, I also look, you know, certain crops like special micronutrients, some micronutrients over others. So, you know, that's kind of my second approach, just knowing what crops like. Um, but soil test is definitely that number one place. You know, when we look at at uh, something like corn production, I know a lot of farmers will say, okay, I'll start with my corn. I'm already doing some in-furrow or I'm doing some two-by-two or maybe I'm doing a strip-till. Where do you like to see micros going? Um, it depends upon what the crop is. If we're dealing with corn, um, in-furrow is going to be the best option um, to get those nutrients out as soon as that plant starts growing. It's best to have all those nutrients that it needs just so it doesn't, uh, start looking for those and be hungry for those nutrients. That's what's going to help you get the best yield. Um, 
inferral options, there's a lot of different micronutrients out there, but they work really well. They're taken up by the root system pretty effectively through the root system. So that's the best place to, you know, for a corn crop, go out and put those. What about foliar? I hear so many guys talking about, you know, I didn't get this done at planting time or, oh, we got in a rush and, and it didn't happen. Can I come back foliar with something like micronutrients? So yes, yep, foliar does work well for micronutrients. Some crops are going to respond a little bit better than others. Um, you know, ideally, you know, planting time is the best time to get those out. But there's some cases where, you know, you didn't get them out of planting or your crop just needs so many micronutrients because of a, an extreme deficiency that you do need to come back with foliar. Soybeans respond very well to foliar applications, alfalfa, um, even wheat is a good, re, you know, responds well to those micronutrients applied foliar. And so there's a lot of options and flexibility with those, you know, just depending upon that timing of that crop. You know, we've had a number of farmers respond over the years about putting on a single micronutrient. Oh, yeah, I put zinc on, and, you know, sometimes I got a gain, sometimes I didn't. Or I put boron on, sometimes I got a gain, sometimes I didn't. And when I ask for soil tests and tissue tests, uh, the farmers that have them, many times I look and see, well, zinc wasn't your only issue. There's a bunch of issues here. I'm not surprised that the one nutrient approach didn't work. I know you talk about using a blended product. Is that kind of the same reason that, that you like that? Or what do you like so much about using the micronutrient blends? Well, that's why I do like the micronutrient blend, because a lot of times either, number one, soil tests don't have micronutrients run at all, or they have just the, the big ones that you think zinc on corn, and then that's the only one they're addressing. Or like you said, the levels are there, they just don't pay attention to them. And so, you know, Micro 500, Micro 1000 are a couple of different products that we have that have multiple micronutrients in them. You know, you have that opportunity to um, go in and get that zinc that you're looking for if that's the big one that you're worried about. But many times those other micronutrients are limiting as well. So by having those combination products, you're also addressing those other micronutrients along with the big one that you're reaching out for. You know, Stephanie, a lot of the farmers that we talk to that are really struggling with micronutrients have got some soil pH issues. Even if it's just parts of fields, it really seems to show up for them. Is there a way to get around that if you have a really high pH or a really low pH to get, get those micros into the plant? So soil pH is always going to be a struggle when it comes to nutrient availability or, you know, due to nutrient tie-up. So the number one solution is always going to be try to adjust that pH issue. Um, but in some cases, whether it's the economic time or rented ground, you know, there's a lot of things that can come into those decisions if you're going to adjust that pH. Um, if you can't, you know, band placing micronutrients is a, a good fix because you're just going to have that concentration in numbers. So you're not going to have as many tie-up issues right away, foliar applications, you know, where we're eliminating that soil a component of that is another way to make sure those micronutrients get in, and then you're kind of eliminating that, that discussion of soil pH, at least for that short term. Yeah, lots of things going on here with micronutrients. I'm going to go back to the first thing. Uh, we're talking with Stephanie Zelenko with AgriLiquid. The first thing Stephanie said is you got to start by at least soil testing and trying to find out what's out there. Great advice today, as always, Stephanie. Really appreciate having you on. You're welcome. Have a good day. Uh Let's get back to the phone lines here. Uh, I've got Ray Archuleta with us. He's a conservation agronomist based out of Missouri. Uh, Ray, when you think about soil health, this is the other thing that a lot of farmers will say, man, when my soil health improved, 
I started to see more things available, like some of these micros. Is that a common thing? Yeah. Yes, I think that I think people um, misunderstand about nutrient and micronutrient availability. It's really determined about carbon flow and biology. It's about biology making uh, these micronutrients and the nutrients available. It's fungi, bacteria, and the root excretions all working in synchrony to make these available. So the more you use cover crops, the more carbon flow, the energy that feeds all these organisms that make it available and put it into solution, that's what makes those things available. It's, it's about carbon. And I think when I went to college, we were taught, like, just like what I heard just a little while ago, is that we got to put all these managed pH. Well, I totally don't agree with that because it's biology that can modify pH. They can modify a whole pH unit. Plants modify just around the roots a whole pH unit. So the whole thing is it's biology-driven. That's why it's called the biogeochemical nutrient cycle. Notice the first word, bio. And I think we missed that. You know, one thing, Ray, uh, as I think about that, you mentioned root excretions. You mentioned yep. uh, what the biology is doing. Can you explain how those two things are different? We, talk, we hear a lot of farmers talking about, okay, my, my roots are putting out some organic acids into the soil, and that's great. They're trying to make nutrients available. The microbes work a little bit differently, though. Can you, can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. I think that's an excellent question because those acids do make those nutrients available, but the other is the excretions, these powerful excretions done by bacteria and fungi. They can excrete these powerful enzymes, and they're the ones that take the mineral out of the rock. They take the phosphorus. They take all these minerals that we're talking about. But also happening in synchrony is that you have predation. You have, um, you have these huge amounts of organisms. Now, think about it. In one tablespoon, you have 7 billion organisms. And new research shows that 40% of organic matter is dead carcasses of bacteria. So the moment you put that root, you, you wake this huge population. And, so, and, and you wake up these bacteria and these organisms. But also another thing that's coming out to light is called biosignaling, where you use these super molecules created by biology to trigger new biology in that system to wake up to make those nutrients available. Oh, Dr. David Johnson, a really brilliant scientist from New Mexico State, has shown that he's been able to identify through metagenomics that there's bacteria that create cellulose on their own in that, in that, soil, in that soil matrix. We're beginning to find out that there are millions of species, and it's probably the most complex ecosystem on the planet. Yeah, we are just barely scratching the surface on our knowledge, and it's it's absolutely mind blowing. Some of the things that are going on in the soil, we're we're just stuck, you know, and, and we're guilty of this too. Sometimes we're driving by a field, we're looking at above ground. Well, that's such a small small part of the story. I've been talking with Ray Archuleta. If you haven't heard of Ray, or if you haven't read some of what uh, some of Ray's work, you definitely need to to check him out online. Ray, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues on our show today and taking your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues. Really excited for our next guest to be on. We've got Neil Kinsey with us, who hails from the great state of Missouri. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me today. All right, micronutrients. I know. Uh, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about micros with you in the past. They are super important, aren't they? Yes, they are, very much so. I'm afraid we just don't give them enough credit. 
You know, a lot of times, and, and we had this comment already, all right, I'm thinking about corn and I'm thinking about zinc. And then I start thinking about alfalfa and it's boron. And farmers kind of get lured into this, well, there's only one or two important micros in each crop. Uh, I know that you like to see growers start with a soil test and try to determine where levels are at in the field. Uh, and it may not be one of those nutrients that we're thinking about. It may not be zinc. It may be something else that that pops up as a yield limiting factor for a crop like corn uh yes it it certainly may be uh i feel like uh, more farmers know to put on zinc and get their zinc levels up than than the farmers who forget about keeping their boron levels up and if you've got good phosphate levels and you don't get good fill all the way out to the end of the year most of the time it's blamed on it's too hot or too cold but generally it really is just a boron deficiency if you're not, if you can add another quarter to half an inch of grain just by putting the adequate amount of boron on and it's extremely critical for corn now most boron tests seem to be the same so when i say this i'd say probably uh, anybody any other soil labs boron test would be very close to the same if not exactly but we find if we're below 0.8 parts per million we don't get good grain fill at the tip of the ears yeah, that's that is a really good tip, and I I know uh, for us we've been focused on that one. Uh, it's a leachable nutrient as well. You get a year like 2019, that's probably even more important than it's been in other years. Uh, Neil, since we've got you on, I know we talk a lot about corn and soybeans on the show, but you work with so many different crops out there. Uh, can you talk to us just a little bit about about uh, some of the other crops that you work with and where you've seen micronutrients really make a difference? Well, uh, I think of one, you mentioned alfalfa a while ago. We do quite a lot of alfalfa, especially in the West. And uh, one client that uh, sent samples on all of his farm, and they, we tell you, test the soil tester. And so uh, I said, well, let me see if I can tell you where your best soils are. And I, the one I pointed out as best, he said, no, it's not my best one. That's the worst one I've got. When you looked at everything that we had measured, it was ideal. But I said, well, what do you grow there? Well, it's alfalfa, and he started describing it. Well, we don't check cobalt and molybdenum unless you specifically ask for it. We did a molybdenum test, and he was extremely deficient in molybdenum, just adding molybdenum, and all of a sudden it went from the worst field he had to the best field he had. So even molybdenum can make a difference. We also have used molybdenum on on uh, citrus in, well, various places, but this particular example was in Florida, and molybdenum was the thing that was missing and they tripled they absolutely tripled their production putting on molybdenum wow for for not many dollars and certainly for not many pounds it doesn't take many pounds of molybdenum to make a big difference ounces if you haven't used any seven and a half ounces of sodium molybdate per acre if you've used it in the last three years then you got you should you don't you don't have to but you should cut back to five ounces and then after three years you stop and wait three years and then start all over again if you don't have one part per million. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you don't want to overdo. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Neil. We've seen that on so many different nutrients on our farm that you get all excited about, oh, I'm short, I'm short, and, and you put more on than you need. And I call that the moron program. You don't want to be part of the moron program. You just want to get it just right. Yes, uh, and there are places where... You can make a big difference. You ask about various crops. Well, one crop that really responds to manganese, all crops respond to manganese, but one of the crops that gives the 
greatest response to manganese is English walnuts. And we find uh, clients who have soils that they're told, oh, you can't raise walnuts on these soils. It's because they're severely manganese deficient. And sometimes it takes as much as 200 pounds of manganese sulfate just to get them up above 40 parts per million. So, you know, sometimes it takes an awful lot. And uh, in terms of manganese, if you're extremely low, and then and we'll recommend people use foliar micronutrients. But if you have a situation like that, foliar may give you a greener color or something like that. You, know, some, you may look at it and say, well, it worked because I see it's greener. But it sure won't give you any increase in yield. You probably have to do that several times a year, even when you have minor deficiencies, let alone extreme deficiencies. Hey, when you speak about manganese, Neil, I know soil pH does make a difference on on micronutrient availability. And we were talking a little bit about soil health and uh, some of the different microorganisms that are working for us in the soil all the time. Uh, how do you get manganese availability for the guys that struggle where pHs are, are a little bit higher? Maybe they're at seven, maybe they're even above that. How do you get manganese into the plant? Well, let's talk about the uh vegetable growers with pHs above 8. And uh, what we find is as long as we get that calcium into uh, the ideal of between 60 and 70 percent, and on sand 60 is better, and on clays closer to 70 is better, but we can start, as, then the question is not uh, whether or not we can get manganese in the plant, it's whether or not we have enough there to get that manganese in. And we find with pHs even in the high 8s, once we get our manganese up in that 50 parts per million range, it gets much easier for the plants to take up what they need. Now, I'm not saying every plant 50 is enough. It, is, it really isn't. But anything above 40 is a lot better than what we see in some of those soils with really high pHs. We had a lot of challenges this year with copper, and, and we had a number of growers with this fall's soil testing program that, that identified copper as an issue, and some of the guys said they had standability issues. Other guys uh, had commented about uh, seed coat stretch, that they, they were having issues with seed coats tearing off on their soybeans. Uh, what have you seen with copper? Is that as big a deal as, as what we're making it to be? I think copper is even bigger than that, but... It takes it takes enough copper there, uh, and different crops respond to different levels. For example, soybeans and corn, generally, if you can get your copper above two parts per million and keep it above two parts per million, then that should be enough to take care of those issues you just talked about. Because, But there, there's three things to look at. First of all, potassium is necessary for plant strength. Then secondly, manganese, and copper's third. But copper is what gives you stock strength and resilience. It'll give you that ability to give and then come back again without splitting. Even on, we work with banana growers, and they'll have problems with splits in the peel. Because the bananas, all of a sudden when they put on the fertilizer, the bananas get bigger. And they say, well, our, our peels are splitting. Well, the first thing you look at is potassium. The second thing you look at is manganese. The third thing you look at is copper. And, and I don't know of an exception, whatever kind of crop you take a look at. You know, Neil, uh, I've got so many listeners that have commented on reading your book, Hands-On Agronomy. It's certainly been uh, been a great help to so many farms. Is there anything in there you'd change if you did another update to the book? Have you learned any new things you'd say, you know what, uh, I found a new way to do this or a better way? 
Well, in actual fact, uh, Acres USA is really good about that, and they say as you learn something and you want to have it said differently, let us know because with the with the way we have um, uh, for printing books now, we can make the quick change in our in the program and put it right in. And so, the older the older the issue you have, the less updates there are in it. But we update uh, uh, statements and things like that all the time. As far as I would say, if I if I really sat down and rewrote the book, I think I'd put a lot more emphasis on sulfur and uh, and try to do a lot more explaining in terms of how to use calcium, not just its benefits, but how to use it itself. Uh, and I am working on that. It it might be a while because it seems like I can only get to a page done every month or something or other, but I am working on trying to do a better job of that. Well, I, I tell you what, Neil, you did a, you've done a great job on it. We really appreciate having you on the show. We're really excited about uh, uh, your workshops coming up this winter. We'll talk a little bit more about that after this break. But, Neil, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. We're talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues on the farm. We're going to get into more of that discussion right after this. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. 
Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, just call in at 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a little bit. Uh, right before the break, we were talking to Neil Kinsey and Darren just mentioned his upcoming seminar he's got. It actually is going to be here right on the site of the Ag PhD Field Day near Baltic, South Dakota. You can go to agphd.com to learn more about that. It's it's right under the events tab. It is March 3rd through the 5th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Normally, if you're going to go to one of Neil Kinsey's workshops, and I realize it's a three-day commitment for you, but you are going to learn so much about soil and fertility. I, I would just say this. We as farmers invest a lot in fertilizer, but how much do we really know? If you aren't an expert in fertilizer, I think you need to come to this seminar because Neil is the best in the world at this stuff. We, Darren and I have learned a lot from him, and this one's going to be pretty interactive too. Darren and I are going to be kind of quizzing Neil throughout his three-day seminar, so it'll be a little different than if you've gone to some of Neil's uh, seminars in the past. But anyway, normally he charges um, quite a bit to attend one of his seminars. He is, like I say, the best in the world. But because we are going to have so many people there, we can get that cost way down. And so anyway, just check that out at agphd.com under the events tab. Believe me, if you spend three days with Neil, you will be very happy you did. All right, so we are talking about micronutrients today. And next on the show, we're going to get Bill Brush on. He is from California. He's a consultant out there. Um, One of our friends we talk to from time to time about micronutrient issues and just nutrient issues in general. Uh, Bill, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you guys back there? Excellent. All right. So where you're at in California, what are maybe the top couple of micronutrient issues that you typically see? Well, because of the, the expanse of the state, uh, we can basically find deficiencies of all of them in some <laughs> sure. place or another. It, it's basically laid down. Uh, I think what you look at primarily, and in, in full disclosure, you were just talking about my uh, my mentor and good <laughs> close personal friend, Neil Kinsey. Yep. And he is uh, the guy that changed my life pattern into doing what I currently do. But having said that, I think what you need to look at, and, and this is what I've come to by listening to Neil for, and, and Neil may say I'm right or wrong, but I probably listen to Neil Kinsey more than any place anybody else in the entire world, sitting in front of him and listening to him over the years, and then also using my own personal experiences to get where I've gotten with my clients. But one thing that I've changed kind of my philosophy, having listened to Neil and everything, is that really... It goes back to Dr. Albrecht saying feeding the soil so the soil can feed the plant. And when we talk about feeding the soil, we look at it sometimes too much as an inert 
thing of just sand, silt, and clay and mineral nutrients attached to it, etc. But it's really going back to the microbiology. And if you don't have the proper spectrum, at least in the minimum amount, and really getting more to the, the excellent amount, you're not going to be able to feed the biology properly. I always tell people, look at your multivitamin that you take, and what do they put in it? Well, phosphate, potash, calcium, magnesium, and all the micronutrients. And a lot so of micronutrients that a lot of people haven't even heard of before. I look at, <laughs> yeah, on my vitamin, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I've never heard of this thing. What what the heck is that? Right? I, I mean, there are a lot of them. We talk yeah. about five, manganese, copper, boron, zinc, and iron, but there are actually a whole bunch of really, really minor micronutrients that, that need to be out there too. Yeah, exactly. And what it is is you're feeding the biology, and and your soil analysis gives you what your multivitamin needs to be for that soil. So what you're looking at is applying the pieces that are missing from your multivitamin that is the soil, that is feeding the micronutrients that then feed your plant. It's amazing that yourself, your you know, primates or just mammals in general, the, the crops that you're growing and the soil all require the same nutrients. And I think where Dr. Albrecht and with Neil's teaching, we've found the sweet spot of where those numbers need to be and in the right proportion to get maximum production. Uh, and I think probably there are a few specifics. Certain crops demand, like we do a lot of specialty crops here. A good example would be something like a berry that's very fragile, that picks. Really important at that point to have a lot of copper, even beyond the excellent levels of copper for berries because they need that resiliency when they're picked that they don't just basically disintegrate in your hands. And so a berry or grape or something like that, higher copper levels are much more desirable. Uh, if you go to walnuts, walnuts is a really great crop out that we grow in California. And one of the things that they need is super high manganese. So you need to get to excellent levels on all of these. And then few, you want to even push beyond those excellent levels because you can get a response. Uh, but the last thing I would say about micronutrients, I think we all talk about the law of the minimum. We don't have enough, so we need to apply some more yep. to get up to these levels that are good. What we also need to keep in good mind, which we are guilty of, I, I'm a farmer myself, is that works so well that we have to put more on of that and more on. And pretty soon we've got what we call the law of the maximum, which means we have so much of a nutrient, and it could be a micronutrient, that it blocks out the other uptake of other essential nutrients. So always be careful. And, and that's why good soil audits, good soil information is what will allow you to give you the best opportunity to get your consistent levels up. Uh, if I told you you go to the doctor every five years for a blood test, and, and that probably wouldn't be enough, particularly when you're getting as old as I am, but you wouldn't expect your soil to be the same after five years, after five crop cycles, etc. And some of these vegetable crops, we've put 12 to 15 crops across this ground, yeah. and we expect in five years that soil would be exactly the same every year leading up to that. Instead, what we do is we sample every single year. 
because we want to know the ups and downs, not to mention the effects of water. And water can have a huge effect on micronutrients as well. I know we want to talk about the balance between micronutrients in the soil and in the plants, but obviously if you don't have it in the soil, it's not going to be there in the plant for you either, and it'll manifest itself in several different different types, maybe not visual either. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. We talk about that all the time. In fact, I was just mentioning that earlier in the show. You can get a lot of these deficiencies without ever seeing any issues. So that's why we talk so much about soil testing and plant testing, just to find out before we have this major catastrophe on our farm, what else do we need to add to that soil? Uh, Bill, I got about a minute left. Any last comments you want to leave us with on micronutrients? Yeah, we talk about that as a hidden hunger. But it's kind of like one of the things about micronutrients, it won't solve your problems if you haven't taken care of the macronutrients. Right. Your NPKF calcium magnesium. And I consider calcium magnesium just as much of a major element as the other ones. If we haven't taken care of those, the micronutrients will have little effect. However, once we've done those, if we've just repeatedly done those over the years, micronutrients can have a profound effect, particularly if they're extremely deficient. Uh, we look at uh, these nutrients and micronutrients as being the, the you know, ever have eat a cake? Yep. Not very good without frosting on it, is it? <laughs> True. And it's the frosting on your cake. It's what makes it the rest of the way to a successful crop. All right, great stuff. Again, we've been talking to Bill Brush. He is a consultant out in the state of California. Bill, thanks a lot for the time. We really appreciate hey, who's, who's, it. Thanks again, guys, and hopefully maybe... Uh, might even see you back there at your field day. That'd be great. I, I've been wanting to do it. Now you've just given me a better reason to go. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Bill. Great talking to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Once again, we are talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues today on the show. If you'd like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll talk a little more about micros right after this, and then we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag where we answer your questions. That's all coming up here on Ag PhD Radio. Now that harvest is in the books, it's time to start thinking about your plan for the next crop. Using a pre-emerge herbicide in your soybeans is the best agronomic choice you can make to ensure control of tough weeds and grasses before they wreck the rest of your season. Authority brand herbicides from FMC keep your soybean fields clean from the start. Research trials have shown that applying a pre-emerge herbicide at planting can preserve up to 20 bushels or more of yield potential. With multiple options to fit your soil types, tillage practices, and weed management needs, Authority brand herbicides deliver the pre-emerge power to fight glyphosate-resistant weeds before they take root. How do they do it? Two modes of action keep resistance in check. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. It's not too late. Visit your FMC retailer or fmcagus.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. 
Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoss.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio. All right, so we're wrapping things up on micronutrients, then we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here. I, I want to throw this out to you as something that I would like you to consider for your farm. You probably, you hopefully, got a bunch of soil tests done this fall, or otherwise you're going to do it this spring. What I would encourage you to do is match up those soil tests to the yield on your yield monitor at that grid point or zone point. And by the way, if you are taking soil samples and you're wandering around an enormous amount of area, that is not how you soil sample. You go to a spot, you walk around your vehicle pulling about eight cores, and you're done. That's it. The reason why you have to do that is now we have data from a spot and you can repeat that. And also you will have data from your yield monitor from that spot or very, very near that. And the nice thing with that, if you start matching up, what's the yield at the very nearest point to that grid point? Now you just plug that into a spreadsheet and you can take a look at each one of your nutrients and where your yield's truly coming from. Last year, we went to one-acre grids on most of our farm. Over 2,000 acres, we did one-acre grids. So I had 2,000 points that we then matched up with yield. Now, we did the same thing in 2019, but we had so much flooding and, and so many issues that, that I, I really think that skewed the data. But, boy, in 2018, you could really see a lot of good stuff. So even like when we're talking about zinc, yes, you can see the yields go up. But then if you get too much zinc especially in relation to phosphorus, then you could see the yields go back down. So the point is, uh, just I, I thought about this just as Bill Brush was talking about this in the last segment. He said there's law of the minimum. There's also the law of the maximum. 
And one of the things that I love doing is really pushing it hard. So occasionally you'll hear us talk about, yeah, there's a field or half field. We put on 1,400 pounds of potash in one application. Uh, We put on, whatever, 50 pounds of manganese sulfate in one application on a bunch of stuff. We did, you know, these crazy, what most people would call crazy things. But I love that because that's how you learn. I'm not saying do that on all your acres, but do it on small acreage and you're going to find out, especially when you're matching up soil tests to yield points. Next thing, if you look at these micronutrients, um, I I thought there were many good comments made today about, hey, we do have to look at the the macronutrients, N, P, and K. I mean, you got to look at those first. All right. But you start getting those N, P, and K levels up, especially if let's say, for example, you have a lot of manure and you have for a lot of years and your N, P, and K are through the roof. It's most likely a micronutrient that's holding you back. We had a guy just a couple, three years ago, realized manganese was his problem, literally gained 50 bushels on his corn, 50. That was fun. Uh, We had another guy, manganese, realized he was low, put manganese on some of his ground. All of a sudden, he eliminated his white mold problem in soybeans. Uh, I mean, there are lots of great stories out there, but when you hear those stories, you may right away think, well, maybe I better put a bunch of manganese on. Well, hold up. (laughs) Let's look at your soil test and figure out what's going on on your farm. What is truly the limiting factor? Where should you best invest your fertilizer dollars? And if you don't know how to figure that out, we really encourage you, come to one of our soils clinics that we do at Ag PhD. Also attend uh, Neil Kinsey's clinics that he does. Uh, I, I mean, just learn more about soils. It's really going to help you on your farm. All right, well, it's time now for the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, uh, first question here comes from Josh in central Iowa, and uh, we were talking about micronutrients on the show today. Josh sent us some soil samples. He said, this is really the first time I've received results back from the lab where I have a question, where do I go from here? He said, normally... Wait, is this stuff he handed me? Yep, if okay. my pH is low, I need lime, and if my K levels are low, I just need some K, and by then I'm generally out of money. Well, now the pH is about right. The K, other than a few spots, I've got up up to 4%. And other than pushing a few of those spots, I'm wondering, is now the time that I want to hammer the micros? I did some micronutrients last year. I did a blend with copper and manganese, zinc, and boron. And I saw 30 bushels more corn than the last time I had corn in those fields, even on a bad year. So I'm pretty excited about that and wondering if I'll continue to see gains like that if I push these micros along. Now, he made a couple comments that I want to get to. One, I ran out of money. One of the things that my dad always used to tell me when I was young, talking about business, he said the reason why most businesses fail is lack of capital. If you have some things where you go, boy, I know we're short on this, and I know if I put more out it would help my yield, but I can't afford to do it. Um, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And if it was me, I'd be talking to the bank and showing them as much data as possible to say, look, I need some more money. Here's why. Uh, 
and especially if you own the ground, because what can end up happening to you is a year like last year or a year like 2012, where it's not your fault, but the weather completely turns against you. You did the right things. You would have had a lot more yield, but there was nothing you could do. But now your soil is in a lot better shape for the following year. Well, if you're renting the ground, you can't afford to do those kind of things. But if you own the ground, you can, because sooner or later, you're going to recover that, especially with nutrients like, let's call it zinc, uh, where it's going to stay where it's put until eventually a crop uses it. Boron or sulfur, nitrogen, a little bit different. And when I'm looking at his tests, that's those are the first things that I see. Uh, obviously, you need nitrogen every year when you have a crop that requires it like corn. But his sulfur levels are extremely low. His boron levels are extremely low. And also on the potassium thing, there are still some spots where I can promise you potassium is a yield limiting factor right now because we're down to even below two in yeah. some areas. Yeah, and he said he's going to hit those sure. spots. And, That's great. And uh, you'd got some lime out there. I know there are some pHs that still have a little ways to go, but if they're moving in the positive direction, just don't over apply yeah. lime. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any more lime out there. And, you know, the other thing, and it, sound like a, it sounds like a broken record because we say this almost every day when we talk about soil tests because I've got a whole bunch of grid points. I'm assuming it's grid points here he gave us there's a lot of variability so when you have a lot of variability you want to try to even those things out and so yeah in spots in the field you need some potassium other spots it's not your best dollar invested um, in those other areas yes absolutely i'm putting some sulfur out some uh copper some boron manganese in some spots. I, I mean, there are just some other needs there. Even you got a few spots where zinc is really low. So, yep, you just have to look at each one line. So that, like on our farm, I mean, when I'm down to one acre grids, I'm literally making a recommendation for that acre. Then I move on to the next acre. Then I move on to the next acre. Now, I mean, there are programs that, like even the IPHD uh, Soils app, you know, you can make this semi-automatic. But I'm just saying, you got to look at each one of these things separately. So we can talk about each individual line here. But yes, there are many things that yet need to be addressed. But it certainly looks like you're heading in the right direction. All right. Uh, I get a question here from Keith and... Keith is in Southern Ohio. Said two questions for you today. Said one, working on my fertilizer prescriptions. It's my first year having variable rate capabilities. My question is around nitrogen and how much I can credit for soil organic matter. I've heard all kinds of different recommendations about each percentage of soil organic matter in Southern Ohio on corn following soybeans. How much nitrogen do you think will come available during the year out of my soil organic matter? I'd guess 20 to 30 pounds. So for per, each per one point. per percent. So what is, what's the F for organic matter? Does he say? doesn't say. Okay. Let's say, for example, it was 3% organic matter. 3 times 20 is 60 pounds. 3 times 30 is 90 pounds. So most likely at some point during the year. Now, keep in mind, this is predominantly going to happen from June until October. So if, let's say you've got an early season crop that comes off in July or maybe August. Well, you, you, you can't take the full 60 or 90 pounds credit. Maybe it's only 40. Yep, and you can do some testing during the season, too. You can do some soil nitrate testing. Uh, also, last question, he said, how would you calculate lime requirements based on soil test data? Is there an equation that you like to use? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I assume Ohio State has something. Otherwise, you can definitely go to Iowa State University. I mean, I could give you the formula, but I don't have enough time here yet in the show. Just go to Iowa State University. They've got formulas on your soil test and exactly how much lime you need. And a lot of folks will look at calcium base saturation percentages, too, and start calculating, all right, how many more parts per million or how many more pounds per acre can I put out to get my calcium up into that 65 to 70, 75 range? And that's sometimes equates fairly well too. But yeah, a couple different things online uh, that you can find as well. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that, Keith. Really enjoy talking about micronutrients. It's something that definitely makes a difference in all crops and pertains to all of us who are growing crops with soil. No doubt about that. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.